So if you're with me in Judges chapter 17, I would like to start in verse 1, and we're going to read the entire chapter, and then we're going to get into it, okay? And there was a man of Mount Ephraim whose name was Micah, and he said unto his mother, The eleven hundred shekels of silver that were taken from thee, about which thou cursest, and spakest of, all, of also in mine ears, Behold, the silver is with me. I took it. And his mother said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my son. And when he had restored the eleven hundred shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver unto the Lord from my hand for my son to make a graven image and a molten image. Now, therefore, I will restore it unto thee. Yet he restored the money unto his mother, and his mother took two hundred shekels of silver and gave them to the founder, who made thereof a graven image and a molten image, and they were in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a house of gods, and made an ephod and a teraphim, and consecrated one of his sons, who became his priest. In those days there was no king, in Israel, but, with, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And there was a young man out of Bethlehem, Judah, of the family of Judah, who was a Levite, and he sojourned there. And the man departed out of the city from Bethlehem, Judah, to sojourn where he could find a place. And he came to Mount Ephraim, to the house of Micah, and as he sojourned. And Micah said unto him, Whence comest thou? And he said, I am a Levite of Bethlehem, Judah, and I go to sojourn where I may find a place. And Micah said unto him, Dwell with me, and be unto me a father and a priest, and I will give thee ten shekels of silver by the year, and a suit of apparel, and thy victuals. So the Levite went in, and the Levite was content to dwell with the man. And the young man was unto him as one of his sons. And Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest, and was in the house of Micah. Then said Micah, Now I know that the Lord will do me good, seeing I have a Levite to my priest. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for this day, and I thank you for all that you do for us. Lord, we're very undeserving of it, and I just ask that you work tonight and that you would help us to have open hearts and open minds, and Lord, help us to be always conscious of you. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Worship is a subject that I believe is greatly misunderstood in many denominations, in many churches, for instance. And these people, they, they, they don't fully understand it. And I would like to just look at, there's so many different aspects of worship, okay? I can, this one sermon cannot fully explain worship. It would literally take a lifetime of study, a lifetime of, of sermons to, to fully give you the full understanding of what worship is. But I would like to just touch on a couple different aspects, and I would like to talk to you about what worship is not and what worship is. And, and we, we know of worship as singing, we know it as praising, we know it as uh, prayer, and, and there's a spirit of worship and there's a lifestyle of worship. And today, I just want to talk to you a little bit about worship. The dime store definition of worship is the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity. Now, that, that doesn't fully explain what worship is, but it gives you a little bit of an idea. That's from the Webster Dictionary. But we're going to get into what the Bible talks about worship. But I would like to first start with what worship is not. Now, in chapter 17, the book of Judges is... So, the book of Judges, it follows the line of different judges. 
But chapter 17 is interesting because it doesn't mention a judge at all. It talks about more of the social and spiritual climate that the people are in. And it's interesting because judges, that follows a certain sequence of action, a certain pattern, you can say. First of all, the people, they got caught up in idolatry, and then God sent judgment from a foreign power, and then God would send a judge, and then the people turned to God. And then this cycle just kept repeating over and over again throughout the entire uh, book of Judges. And we see here that in verse 6, that Micah is in step 1. He is in judgment. In verse, in verse 6 it says, In those days there was no king of, in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That sounds a lot like America, doesn't it? Every person is just living their life based on their reality, based on their concept of God, and it's, it's something that has poisoned this world. And it's, it's not new. It's the, the book of Judges was thousands of years ago, and it's the exact same thing that we're in today. And, of course, back then they didn't have any, any king. There was no king over Israel. But we have rulers over us. But our rulers don't stand for righteousness. They, they prod us, they prod the people to godlessness and contempt. And it's, it, is, it, is a, it is a very relevant thing. And this book is so old, but yet it's so relevant to now. And I want us to look how Micah had such a folly in his idea of worship. Uh, let me just give you a little bit of overview, uh, just for what we just read. So Micah's mother, she lost 1,100 she uh, 11, shekels of silver. Then um, she cursed it, and then Micah, whenever he heard about that, he brought it back and he said, listen, Mom, I stole this from you. I took it. And she says, I had wholly dedicated that to the Lord. So with that silver that you've given me, I want to go ahead and I want to make a, a graven image of God. I want to make an idol of God. I don't exactly know what that would look like because no man has seen God at any time. But they wanted to make this idol of God. And so they went ahead, they took it to the founder, he produced an idol, and he took it to his house of gods. That's God's plural. And we're going to get into that a little bit later. But we see that he broke many, many uh, little areas of the, of the Mosaic law. He, he stole, he made idolatry, he made a graven image of God, and, and, we, and he also made a priest at his own house. Priest worship was not meant to be at his house. It was meant to be in the tabernacle at this time. And so we're going to look at what worship is not. And first thing I see here is that worship cannot be based on our own desires. There's many different kinds of worship, and one of the worships is what we're doing here. It is corporate worship. Corporate worship is the church. And it is being attacked by Satan more than it has ever been attacked before. And, and the one thing that is different, I feel, is that it is Satan is attacking us as a group, coming together. We have now the availability to worship online worship online. That's against the Bible. The Bible says we're not allowed to do that. It says, forsake not the assembling of, your, of yourselves together. That's one thing that, that our society is messing up on. And I understand that there's some people that cannot come to church. I've been visiting with the Woodards, the shut-ins, uh, not, the Woodards weren't the shut-ins, but we were visiting <laughs> with the, Wood, the Woodards, and then they were going 
and uh, we were going around and visiting people that cannot make it to church. And I understand that some people listening right now or on live stream, they can't make it to church, they're physically unable, and I understand that. But I'm talking to the people that, that they are physically able. They are young, they, they can make it to church, but yet they choose not to. I used to struggle with this like every Sunday morning. You, know, you guys know what I'm talking about. You're laying on your bed, you're like, do I really want to go to church? You know, this or that. And then one day I realized that that's just the devil tempting my flesh. And I I decided one day, I said, you know what? When the doors are open, I'm going to be there. And you know what? My Sunday mornings were a lot easier. I just was like, okay, it's Sunday. Boom, get out, get ready for church. And that's something that the world doesn't want to do. We are a body. You can't have have a hand. Let's just take a hand, for instance. It's very useful. It's got so many functions. You can do so many things with a hand. But if it's not attached to the body, what good is it? We need to be working together. We need to be united together. And you can't worship isolated. You can't serve isolated. You have to be part of the body. There is, uh, have you guys ever heard of the metaverse? If you've heard of the metaverse, raise your hand. All right, so we got like four, five, six, seven. All right, so there's this thing called virtual reality. It's a... It's a goggle headset that you put on, and it's got screens on the inside. And whenever you put it on, you feel like you're in a different room, and you can change it to whatever setting the programmers have. And it's pretty cool technology, but I found out this last year that they've actually made a church out of it. It's called the Meta Church. And people put on these goggles, and they worship together in this, in this basically a video game almost. And there's, everybody's got their own little character, and it's kind of like the Wii, if you've ever played that. They, they, that's what they kind of look like. And I was, I, was, I was just dumbfounded by that, but then I found out that the other week, they actually did their first virtual baptism. I was like, excuse me? How do you virtually baptize somebody in, in the digital realm? That's just, it doesn't make any sense. But that's the world we're living in right now. They don't want to come together. They don't want to socialize. They don't want to be a part of the unit, the part of the body of Christ. And we see here, for whatever reason, Micah, he didn't want to go to the tabernacle. He decided that he wanted to worship at home. And you can worship one-on-one with God. I'm not saying that, but he, the tabernacle was not meant for that. And he had a priest, and he gave the priest an ephod. The ephod is meant for the high priest. So he basically stole that from them. And not, he didn't steal the actual ephod, but he made his own. And it wasn't meant to be like that. And I don't know if he was intentionally trying to be rebellious, but I have a feeling he was. In verse 3, I mean, it sounds genuine because she said in verse 3, I had wholly dedicated the silver unto the Lord. You know, that sounds okay. But, you know, a lot of the world, they genuinely, they sound like they want to worship God. But if you don't do it God's way, then it's wrong. And I would like to look over in 1 Samuel chapter 15 for a moment. Remember that genuine intentions are no guarantee of appropriate action. You can be genuinely wrong. All right, let's turn in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. I'm going to start halfway, halfway down. It says, Behold, see where it says behold? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken 
than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as the sin of iniquity and idolatry. So whether or not Micah meant it, he rebelled against God. He rebelled against God by trying to move temple worship to his house. And that's one thing you have to remember in your life. Think about your life right now and understand that you cannot properly worship God with sin in your life. You cannot properly worship God if you're not being obedient to God. That is something that it, it's, it, it just doesn't work. It's completely contrary. You can't do it. And I visited a couple churches before coming to this one, a couple contemporary, you know, this or that. And one thing that shocked me at a certain church that I went to is that the people, they worshipped God. Oh, it sounded good. They had different music, different standards than ours. And they, they would raise their hand and they'd sing and sing and sing. But the second that service was over, their mouth was blaspheming God. They were taking the Lord's name in vain. They were living a life that was unsatisfactory to God. And they were wholly dedicated to the satisfaction of their flesh. They seek after the entertainment of the world to pacify whatever desires they have. And it's very clear that you cannot love God and love the world. The Bible talks about it. The Bible says it very clear. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the Father... Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. All right? They're two completely separate things. And if you have that sin in your life, if you have these desires that are unrighteous, you need to understand that you must separate from those things because those will hinder you in your worship. You must be sanctified. You must step away from your sin. That is the only way because you cannot worship in your own desires. I see also in this passage that you can't worship God and involve other gods. And you'd think that'd be a no-brainer, but there's so many religions that we take the gospel to, and they, they hear about the gospel, and they take Jesus, they take the gospel, they take salvation, and they put it on the shelf with their other gods. And I'm ashamed to say how many Christians do that with God. They take God and they make him a part of their day. They don't make him the central focus of their life. They only make him a small section of their life. And I'm ashamed to say that it happens. We can't simply add God to our day. He must be the meditation of our heart. He must be the apple of our eye, the wind in our sails. That's just something that must happen. It must, he must be central for worship to be possible. And he can't be an element of our week. I want us to just think about that for a second. You know, a lot of the times, it's like, okay, pick up the eggs, get the milk, read your Bible, pick up the kids, sweep the floor, go to church. He's a checklist. Don't make God a checklist in your life. Make him your life. Make him the focus, the main thing, the main event. And I think decently strong Christians, they fall prey to a certain idol worship. And I want to talk about it today. I'm going to use a little illustration here I brought in. Oh, thank goodness he's still here. All right, this is the result of a second grade arts and crafts project. This is Mike. He was with me for a long time. All right, this is going to be our idol today. Can everybody say hi to Mike? Hi. You idol worshipers. All right, let's see. No. Um, okay. 
No, uh, he is, um, I want us to just use our imaginations for a second. I know some of you guys haven't used it in a long time. Brother Woodard's got to get out there and go <laughs> to his imagination. But, um, but I, I, want us, I want you guys to just follow along with, with my thought here, okay? I want you guys to imagine that I take, I take little Mike here, okay? Imagine that I started bringing him to church every single week. Imagine that I, I set him over there with me, and you came over to talk to me, and instead I went ahead and I, I, I wanted to talk to Mike instead. Imagine if I started taking him to the baseball games. Imagine I started taking him to the grocery store with me everywhere I go. Imagine that I had a wife and kids. Sorry, Dad. Um, <laughs> imagine that instead of me developing my relationship with my wife, I talked to this little fellow. Imagine that instead of going out to, um, out to play with my kids, that I would rather spend time with Mike. That'd be wrong, right? Can everybody agree that that would be wrong? That would be idol worship. That would be me dedicating more love to Mike than to the people around me, to developing relationships, godly relationships. Why do we do it with this? Okay? America has made this, the world has made this their idol. All right? And I want to give you some statistics to back that up. There are 294 smartphone users in the United States. They check it on average of 63 times a day. They spend an average, get this, of 5.4 hours a day. They spend 2.5 hours a day on social media. And there's a small percentage, a 13% of millennials spend over 12 hours a day on their phone. Okay? If you add that up, uh, if you average five hours a day, multiply that by 365, that's 1,825 hours. That's 76 days a year. That's 20% of the year, on average, that people spend staring at a screen. Whenever they die, and you say, they say that you know, life flashes before your eyes, how much of that is going to be going like this? All right? It's a crime. It's a sin. It's not, the phone's not a sin. It's a tool. But whenever we make that a priority over Bible reading, over prayer, over developing relationships with other people, it becomes a sin. It should, whenever you come to church, leave your phone in the car. All right? Can I get some more amens? Amen. Thank you. It's, church is not meant for that. And worship cannot happen. I can't tell you how many times that I've been reading my Bible and the phone goes off. That is the devil. All right? The devil's not in the phone, but he uses it. I think that he's distracted the world so greatly by, by using this, this technology. And the, like I said, the technology is not the thing that's wrong. It's the misuse of it. It's that way with anything. It can be the television. It could be YouTube. It could be what you seek after. It could be, it could be that truck that you've always wanted. It could be that car. I've fallen into that trap before of focusing in so much on the thing that you want that you forget about God. If you're living for money, you are wasting your life because you will never have enough money. You will never be satisfied in that. You're not made to be satisfied in that. If you want to truly feel rich, count the things that money can't buy. All right? So I want us to see here that you can't simply put God on the shelf. He doesn't want to be on the shelf. He wants to be numero uno. He wants to have 
everything in your life, all your time, all your focus. I understand that there's, there's things that you must do to get through the day, but he wants to have preeminence in that. And worship can't be based on your own desires. It cannot, be, it cannot occur with other gods. And I see also in this passage that worship cannot be for your gain. The first worship outside of God was the worship of self. And that was done by Satan, and that's pride. So often, Christians... Let's look at verse number 13 back in, back in the book of Judges, Judges 17. Judges 17, verse 13 says, Then said Micah, Now I know that the Lord will do me good, seeing I have a Levite to my priest. Right there, that revealed his heart for the whole thing. It was not about the worship of God. It was about what he could get from God. He will do me good. It's about me. me. He made that about himself. He made this whole scenario about himself. And that is something that it's, it's very easy to do because, you know, I do understand that we, we, we pray to get answers from God. Like, we, we expect answers. That's why we pray. But if all you do is pray for me, 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 and not for, Lord, thy will, Lord, what you want me to do, then you're praying for the wrong reason. And, and I just love that God is so patient with us with that. But we have to be very mindful not to try to make deals with God. It's not a business. It's not, Lord, what can you do for me? You, if you're coming to church for, Lord, what can you do for me? It may be a little bit wrong. Because we should be coming with that heart of saying, Lord, you have done so much for me. I'm here for you. And we must worship God because he is absolutely worthy. And it must be done in sincerity and humility and spirit and truth. Because you can't serve yourself and serve God at the same time. It cannot happen. So, I want to look at now what worship is. If you would, turn with, your, with me in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. We'll get to that one in a moment. But, I was looking at some different definitions of worship. Like I said, it's a very broad category. And I looked at some words, and it says, uh, mostly for most of the definitions, it's bow down to draw near, praising, blessing, devotion, service, bending the knee in reverence to God, lifting up, exalting. So all these are an outward display of an inner state of being. And it is an inner attitude of reverence. Uh, worship is our response after acknowledging God's person, his attributes, and his acts of love towards sinful man. I want, uh, okay, can, can, I, can I hear you guys all say amen real quick? Amen. amen. Okay, I just wanted to get the volume setting here. Okay, I want you guys to answer these questions for me, all right? Who made the universe? God. God. Who made the world? God. All right. Who made the United States of America? God. Who keeps the worlds in orbit? Who knows every star? God. Who knows every hair on, he counted every hair on your head. God. All right, you guys want me to keep going? We're going to keep going. Who knows every sorrow in your life? God. Who keeps you, who keeps your health? It's getting quieter in here. 
getting quieter. Who puts kings in powers and removes them? All right, last one, okay? Who came to earth to die for your sins so that you may live in, in heaven? All right. He is worthy of our praise. Is he not? He is, it's all-encompassing. His involvement in our life is everything. He has done everything for us. He is worthy of that praise. He is worthy of praise. He's worthy of a song. He's worthy of more than 10%. And it should bring us to our knees. I want us to look. We're going to get to Ephesians in a second. But think about Romans chapter 1. Okay, Romans chapter, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That word service there can also be translated worship. It's your reasonable worship. It's your reasonable worship to be a living sacrifice. Think about that. A living sacrifice. How does that happen? A sacrifice is dead. No, God doesn't want you to die for him. He wants you to live for him. He wants all of you. A sacrifice cannot be halfway. You cannot half-sacrifice anything. It has to be absolute. It has to be the whole thing, all of your life. That's what God wants, and He wants you to be holy, and He wants you to do the things that are acceptable. Those are the things that God's looking for. That is your reasonable worship. That is something that should be an outpour of our heart. God literally, He just gets His love, and he just keeps pouring it on us day after day. His mercies are new every day. And he loves us. He loves us infinitely. He loves us infinitely. What's our response? Our response should be singing. Our response should be prayer. Our response should be a life of, Lord, what do you want me to do? That should be our response because God has done so much for us. And our focus should be on that. Our country has lost the reverence for God. Our, our, our churches, not our churches, but there's many churches that they're going away from what they're supposed to be doing. And I want us to think about that. My friend, he went to a Jubilee the other day, and he said, I was disgusted by something that happened. He said there was more amens and more of an uproar from the crowd for a political statement about Nancy Pelosi than for the words Jesus saved. And he said, that revealed to me so much of what's wrong with Christians today. They're so focused on the world. They're so focused on, on politics, on this or that of this world. But they, but they don't see the great riches that we have and truth in this. In the life that we have in Christ. <laughs> you know, I'm an American. I am one of the most American people I know, Okay. And I'm just saying that I'm a patriot, okay? I'm more, I'm not going to say more American, but I'm just as American as any man in this room. I would bleed to keep the, the stripes red, okay? But can I say one thing? We are no longer just citizens of the United States of America. We are citizens of heaven. We need to be patriots of heaven. We need to be waving that flag, Jesus saves. We need to be seeking after the lost. We need to be looking out for heaven's best interest, to worship in, for God, to seek after the ruler of heaven. We get nothing if we please the President of the United States, but if we please the God of the universe, that's everything. That is everything. 
The whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. The greatest commandment in the Bible is to love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. That is the greatest commandment we can do. That results in worship. That results in true worship when we can finally understand that. Our hearts should be just overflowing with that for every, everything that he's done for us. Now, if you're in Ephesians chapter 3, I'm going to real quick read 17 through 19. This whole chapter is good. I wanted to preach out of this chapter, but God led me elsewhere. But we're going to read just 17 through 19 of chapter 3. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Tonight, we're going to be uh, partaking in the Lord's Supper, and I want to talk to you just real quick of a small story that happened directly before the, 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 the Last Supper with Jesus. And it was the woman, you guys have heard the story, I believe, of the woman that came and anointed God's head with the precious ointments from the alabaster box. And it was all the people, all the disciples, they said, what a waste. You've wasted this, this ointment on, on, on just pouring it on his head when that could have been sold to feed the poor. And Jesus said, she hath wrought a good thing unto me. And it's because she understood. She understood who Jesus was and that he was worthy of her best. He was worthy of this ointment that would have been a whole year of, of work. And she was willing to sacrifice that because she knew that Jesus Christ was worthy. And tonight, before we, I'm, I'm going to hand it over to the pastor here in just a moment, but I want us to see that Jesus Christ is worthy of everything in our lives. He's worthy of our love. He's worthy of our praise, our singing, our worship, our service. And he wants that from us. So I'm going to have you guys uh, put your heads down and, and close your eyes for a moment.